The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome, everyone, to the Provoke Podcast. Um, I am here with an old friend of Provoke Media, uh, Jen Risi. Um, we got to know Jen very well when she was running um, communications for Ogilvy. Um, and she's been out on her own with a firm called Sway Effect, which just got nominated um, in one of our Agency of the Year categories. Um, and um, she is here as the sponsor of this particular event. And also joining us for this event is um, a former colleague of hers. Um, Nadia, uh, why don't you tell people uh, who you are and why you're here? Well, thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Um, so my name is Nadia Bellin-White, and I am the Global Chief Marketing Officer of Vice Media Group. Um, the first Global Chief Marketing Officer of Vice Media Group. They had not had that position in this way before, um, but I was hired uh, last summer and joined in um, late October, November, to join Nancy Dubuque on her great transformation of Vice Media Group. And it's been quite a ride so far. And I know Jen quite well. She and I worked together for over a decade at Ogilvy. And we have very interesting stories that we can probably save for another podcast of our experience <laughs> together. Oh, around maybe, maybe we'll share a couple of them. As we, <laughs> share as we a couple through. of stories. Let's, let's see how it works out. Um, so this is, you, you mentioned that this is a newly created position. Yeah. Um, why was why was it created? Um, what was the situation at Vice that led them to believe that they needed a role like this? My understanding is that it brings together um, a variety of sort of marketing and communications functions um, and, and goes beyond a, perhaps a traditional CMO role. Yeah, it's, it's quite extraordinary. When Nancy um, called me last summer about the opportunity and she sent me some materials about um, who Vice Media Group was and, you know, what her real vision for the group was. I said, you know, what would be interesting is you need to have a, a brand strategy and platform that's really a center for growth. And I had built a reputation in the industry over 25 plus years of transforming brands. I said, if we're going to do this right, we're going to combine marketing, brand, insights, creative experience, um, and comms all under one roof we are gonna be the strategic engine for the company. We will partner with sales. We will help drive um, ROI for, for, for brands. We will partner with clients in new and interesting ways. We will leverage the power of the Vice Media Group portfolio, which quite frankly, to most people in the public are unaware that Vice Media Group is really Vice, Vice News, Vice Studios, Pulse, Virtue, ID, Refinery, that we did all this great work with Beyonce and Lemonade and Gangs of London, and we have Unbothered at R29. People don't know that. They know about our award-winning news division. They know about the reputation being founded in Montreal, but they're unaware of its profound impact on culture. And so what we have done is developed a, a strong brand strategy for the marketplace as the navigators of culture. We are the blueprint for modern media and we help people navigate the next. 
And if you consider the moment in time that we're in, the revolution of sorts that's happening, not just within the US, but around the world. And trust me, I've been around the world to see it. Being able to be at a place where you can really help drive and impact culture in the most positive way possible, in a way that's reflective of what this generation needs, a younger generation, the next generation of leaders needs, is quite extraordinary. And I, for one, am happy to be part of it. And one of the things that intrigued me um, about the appointment is, um, I, I guess, you know, my history of dealing with media organizations is that they are not necessarily the best communicators themselves. The editorial team, for example, always seems to, I mean, first of all, there's that fraught relationship between editorial and, um, and PR and marketing. Um, there's also typically a belief that, you know, our work stands for itself and you see what we stand for every day when we publish news stories. And so why do we need fancy jargon-esque things like positioning? And, um, and I'm, I'm curious what sort of attitude towards um, marketing and, and public relations you encountered when you first got into the organization um, and um, whether as a much more modern media company, um, Vice had shared some of that um, old prejudice. I think that for many of the people, I would say majority, it was a breath of fresh air. They now understand, I mean, so Jennifer and I and you also understand that the role of marketing and comms really enables and drives growth. I think that they now have a roadmap to follow to help undergird some of the efforts that were already happening at Vice Media Group. And so having a strong leader who was able to put brand and comms and data and insights together. We actually have a predictive engine that we're building, a data engine. All under one roof means that we are strategic and thoughtful and considerate about the content that's out there, about the communications that we put out there, the stories that we tell, the stories that we walk away from, the partnerships we have, the partnerships that we're like, mm, maybe that's not such a good partnership for us anymore. And so this to me seemed like a natural evolution in, in, in Vice Media Group's history and, you know, as a growing modern media brand. And so, you know, I call this the house that Dubuque built because Nancy was smart enough to recognize and when she put this group of individuals together and it's, you know, just not just myself, but Daisy Auger Dominguez, who's the head of talent or Sabra Today, leading programming at news or um, Corey Haight, who's the chief digital officer or Kate Ward, you know, in studios or, you know, Laura Misselbrook, who I elevated to be our, my global head of comms. When I look at some of these individuals that I have around the table, it is quite extraordinary. These are some real power players and um, people don't know that story of Vice Media Group. They don't know how Nancy was able to see the chess table. She's the original Queen's Gamut, I said, because Nancy saw a table and she's like, okay, I have this one, I have this one. Okay, I've got Lucinda Treat, who's an amazing legal counsel, and Daisy, but I need someone to kind of help bring it all together. And so I was fortunate to be probably one of the last individuals that they brought on board recently um, to really help kind of make the table complete. 
I'm interested, Jen, in how you see it, because obviously you've um, dealt with the media both as a PR person for a, a giant advertising PR holding company um, and also um, as clients in the past. Um, how do you see Vice fitting into the landscape? And is it, a, is, is it different and more forward thinking, perhaps, than you're, than you're used to? I think because of everything that's happened due to COVID, there's been so much change with media, with the layoffs and, and the different changes. And you have journalists who've had to become experts in different areas that they never knew about because they've had so many layoffs. You have the same, like less journalists covering the same, if not more numbers of topics. And you've had, you've seen media brands pivot in ways that you've never had to see before. I think you know, when I heard that Naja was going to Vice, I was excited for her, but also more importantly for the brand, because I think Vice has a great opportunity. I think Vice is very forward thinking. It is, it is very um, progressive and it's kind of has that cool factor, right? So like to the point of like, you guys work with Beyonce and you have amazing brands, but I think there also is an opportunity to Naja's point that there's an opportunity to tell more of the cohesive story, more of the overarching story of the success of these brands, not just chatter that might've happened about culture in the past or specific divisions of, of the organization. But I do think that Vice has all the right assets to take this media brand to the next level. And I think that that's part of the reason why I was excited that Naja was gonna do this podcast with us is because I think this is the type of media brand that folks need to watch out for because it is going through a reinvention and stay tuned for what's to come. Okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that chatter about the culture that, that you mentioned because yeah. um, you know, I, think, I think a lot of us who were sort of vice readers and vice fans were um, surprised and perturbed a few years ago to read about the the supposed boys club culture, um, the the um, the fact that it was a hostile environment, perhaps for some of the women who worked there. Um, and I'm wondering, Nadja, had had you? Uh, I mean, you must have been aware of that background when you came in. You must have had questions about that background. Um, but I'm assuming that the new leadership team had already gone some way towards addressing that. Do you feel like that was a priority for you when you came in, or did you feel like a lot of the work had already been done and the ship had been righted, as it were? It wasn't a consideration for me coming in. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. If you've, have you seen the advertising industry that Jennifer and I were part of as long as I was? I mean, let's be honest. If you want to talk about a challenging industry, just take a look at it right there. And I worked here in Africa and in Europe in that same industry. So boys' culture, perceptions of boys' culture, it didn't bother me. You know, I'm a big believer you have to look forward. Um, I think if you take a step back and look at the industries as a whole, overall media industry and advertising over the last 20 years, there's a lot of work for everyone to do. What I can only evaluate is what I see today from the time I walked in the door virtually, of course, <laughs> at Vice Media Group on you know, October 31st. My experience with the brand is very different. The people at the table, very inclusive, diverse set of voices, really considerate, not the boys' culture that 
people had read about and certainly not something I'm seeing at multiple levels. As a matter of fact, we're very as inclusive as we can be to make sure we have all people represented around the table. And I make sure that I have a variety of people certainly um, representing us across, across the different lines of business. So don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I haven't experienced it. Okay, but, but I, I, I mean... I, I assume I assume that I'm not the only person who's mentioned it to you oh, since, since you mentioned, joined. No, um, it's mentioned all the time. At the, at, but however, what people are also saying is that was then and this is now. This is why, you know, again, the Kate Wards and the Corey Hakes, the chief digital officer and and Subrata Day are representative of current and future vice, you know, in our DEI report that was recently published, the progress that was made are all examples of the hard work that's been done. And, and trust me, I've been part of organizations that speak diversity, but quite frankly, it's a bunch of bullshit. This is not one of those organizations. You know, we just announced a partnership with the National Urban League supporting African-American businesses um, and a multi-year partnership with Mark Morial and the National Urban League. You know, this is, you know, Simone Oliver is our head of Refinery29, and that woman is just incredible in what she's been able to do at R29. And th that's just an example of some of the great talent we have. So, yes, we may have had that perception. Is that who we are today? Not at all. I, if I could just jump in, I would say that, you know, the fact that you guys have even just set metrics and you're on, you're being public about it and you're tracking what you're doing, that shows that there's a true commitment to drive change. Because I, when I saw the recent ad week story that had your, your report in it, I mean, that shows to me that all the stuff you and I have been talking about, about the culture change and all the things you've been seeing and all the things you are, you're working to do along with the leadership team that report's a great first step because if you're not setting metrics and measuring yourself publicly, what are you working towards? So I think it's, it's all the right moves are there. Nancy holds all of us accountable. We're constantly thinking of this and every, you know, there was a partner I was looking at hiring and I decided not to hire a particular partner because I looked at this partner's firm and I said, did there's no one diverse represented there? So no, thank you. And I think that, that must eliminate an awful lot of potential partners. You got you got to walk walk and talk talk. You can't just pick, you just can't rock up and say this is what we believe. Yet I look at everybody on the call. I'm thinking, okay, so you don't really believe this. You really you're just making this up. And so I really try to listen to who people are. I'm not saying you're going to judge people based on the color of their skin or their or, or their gender, but you know have good intentions show that there's an effort and, and give me the non-bullshit line. I can see through that a mile away. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because vice is very much at the intersection of what, two or three industries. If you, if you think, you know, it's a tech company, it's a media company, it's, you know, at least related to marketing and, 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 and advertising. What I, what I have said, yeah, what I have said to people is there's no competitor like us in the marketplace. Yeah. They're just, different. I would argue that the, the competitor for us has yet to be invented. And that's why we're really the blueprint for modern media in terms of our impact on culture, how we help people navigate the next, and the way we tell stories. 
there's an authenticity and truth to how we tell stories. You may not always agree with the truth we tell you, but we're going to tell it to you. What are the what are the issues then that you spent most of your time dealing with? Um, if you feel like the the you know the cultural issue has largely been addressed internally, you know I think that part of what we try to do is reinforce the global nature of this company, um, you know, and maybe I'm overly sensitive to it having just relocated back from London. But this idea that we have to constantly make sure we're representing the 25 countries around the world that in which we, we um, operate in, and also the stories that we tell are in fact as balanced as they could be. And we have a lot of consideration in, in how the, we tell stories. Um, you know, we want it at Sundance for Flea that came out of our studios division. And I'm gonna make a plug shamelessly for um, Kate Ward. And she is just outstanding. And what she is doing with our studios business is nothing short of extraordinary. Um, you know, the great work that, you know, our creative agency Virtue has done um, and some great work they did with Beats and Naomi Osaka, um, extraordinary work. And you don't hear about that all the time because people like to write about the negative, not the positive. But um, I'm, I'm proud of the great work that our teams are doing and I'm excited about it when people say, how are we gonna rally around the industry for Stop Asian Hate? We have discussions about that. We have, you know, what, what are we gonna do around the anniversary of George Floyd and how are we gonna address this across our company? We have discussions about that. We really care about how people are feeling and how we're, we're, we're leading with empathy and with great consideration. And I think that is indicative of the types of leaders that Nancy has put in place in different parts of the company. We have a very fluid executive leadership team where we rely on each other a lot. That the global nature of the business um, is interesting to me. I mean, I think I went a long time um, because I, I'd, the first time I ever logged on to Vice was in the States. I'd gone a long time thinking it was entirely American and then I discovered British Vice and then I discovered a whole bunch of other vices. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that, the, the, the balance between being global and being multi-local. Um, how, how, how do you approach that? I think we are, you know, 50% of our revenue comes from outside in North America. I think we're definitely multi-local, right? And, you know, and I, you know, when I have my own global Marcoms calls, I have to really be considerate of what my colleagues in, in Latin America are telling me about what's happening across Latin America from Brazil to Argentina to Colombia, Venezuela. That's very different what's happening in Mexico City, right? I have to be considerate of what's happening um, across different parts of APAC. I have to be, you know, I have to remind my colleagues sometimes in North America that what was happening in the US I know seems like the most important thing in the world, but actually it's US specific and we need to be very local, very um, deliberate about how we tell certain stories. And even, you know, we opened up in, the, in Riyadh in the Middle East. And I know that people are like, but why? But you have to be able to find the truth in those stories as well. And so there's this constant balance between, you know, and people said it to me when I went to become CEO of Africa, why are you going there? Well, you know, people in Africa deserve the same level of strategic marketing support and they're quite fine without me, by the way, they didn't need me. But you, you know, this idea of everything has to happen from the US 
kind of a false sense. We're not the center of the universe. Neither is London, by the way. So we are multi-local. Right. Hey, Jen, you've you've worked with global brands. I mean, you managed Ogilvy's reputation globally. Um, and, and so you're you're aware, I mean, and this is interesting in terms of the the role that Nadja is describing from a couple of perspectives, right? So first you have the fact that, you know, things that happen to you reputationally in one part of the world impact everywhere else. So however however hard you try to be local, there's always a global element to your reputation. And and to the point we were talking about earlier with culture, you know, everything that everything that impacts your internal audience today, more than ever, I think, impacts your external reputation as well. Um, which I think makes the role that Nadia is describing um, this sort of holistic global corporate comms, marketing, internal, external, culture, and reputation. Um, almost, you know, almost a template for any global organization. There has to be that sort of central um, intelligence guiding um, culture and, and, and reputation. How many organizations do you see that actually have that? I think we need to see more have it. I mean, I think there is a, a handful of ones that I can probably think off the top of my head that actually do it right. I think that there's a lot more that are too decentralized. I think that, you know, from my experience, when we used to counsel clients on this all the time was to your point, Paul, like there's probably New York and London, they're the main hubs and they'll help you get the most influence and, and give you that halo around the world. But you definitely need to have an in-market strategy that's going to complement that halo. And it was always this, this like global approach, which was make sure we go global, hit the most high level influencers in press, like the CNNs and the financial times of the world. But then you definitely need to make sure you're customizing your message and your approach locally. And I think that that's what I do most days right now is, is I'm working with major multinational companies to kind of help them understand that they need to be more connected and they need to have one message. Anything internal can go external. Um, anything external can really have major impact on employees. And you need to really think about how it all works together. And I think that COVID just accelerated and opened more people's eyes to what they didn't have. And I think that that's, what, that's why I think we're working right now with multinationals in healthcare or in technology or in um, different types of, or, or in retail companies that have just had success but with the challenges of COVID, they've had to rethink how they operate and had to work smarter. And so we've shared what we know works, which is this integrated global approach of how you actually connect and, and share your message. Um, both internally and externally and globally and locally and everything in between. And um, I think there's been, there's been some eye-opening moments for some pretty major brands that I've been working with and other colleagues of mine, I know they've been working with as well, but I think there's more work to be done. I think that there are brands that do it right, but I think that there are a lot more that need to be educated. And, you know, I think that COVID for all the bad things that happened with it, there is opportunities that it brought, that it made people and leaders see certain things that maybe they didn't have to see before. And then they've had to learn to work differently. Yeah. How, how was it coming to a new job and being onboarded um, <laughs> during a pandemic? Did it, did it change the experience? You, it, you know what? It's, it's interesting. I think a month after I joined, um, Nancy and I met like for like a 
socially distant like dinner outside because it was weird. Like, how do you hire this person, this major position and not meet them? So I spent the initial time um, while we still could taking some walks around the park with people like virtually. Um, but everything has been, I mean, um, on, you know, over remotely, it's crazy. My very first meeting, strangely enough, was with Thomas Bensky in London, the head of Pulse Films. He was my first person I actually met. Because at the time when I made this decision, um, he was still based in London. And it was weird because I haven't seen him since then. <laughs> he was like, this is great. No one ever starts with the Pulse Films division. This is great. But, um, and he was really excited to hear my desire to really kind of put my arms around the whole VMG proposition and bring all of it to the market as one Vice Media Group. I mean, here's the thing, people don't even know Vice Media Group exists. That's the crazy thing. People know different parts of it, but they don't know it as an entire multimedia group. Most people think it's just a digital media company. Some people think it's just a magazine. No one, they, or they're like, oh, ID is part of Vice Media Group. No one knows. So the fact that there's a lot of education needs to be done is kind of extraordinary. So I found myself as part of my onboarding process, falling in love with this amazing multimedia brand. And so you ask, how was my onboarding? It was really exciting. Every day was like, you know, holiday for me because I get a package from ID or a package from Pulse. And I was like, this is great. And I already love Gangs of London. The fact that it came from Vice made me even happier. So uh, within the organization, is there is there a vice media group culture or is there a, a, a virtue culture and a pulse culture? And you know, how, do, how does how does an organizational culture work in such a multi-branded multidisciplinary business? There is a vice media group culture that's that's been born out of vice. And, and he has a common DNA. You know, if I think about the characteristics about us and we consider ourselves a community brand, we are curious. We are people that push the envelope, um, make people comfortably uncomfortable. You know, we all have this desire to tell a side of the truth that sometimes it may be uncomfortable for brands and people, um, you know, all of us, I would say, the ones that I've come in contact with, have a, a high degree of um, integrity in, in who we are as, as leaders, as people. We bring our whole selves to the table each and every day. And you can imagine the, the lovely conversations we have about decisions we make as a, as a company. Is this something we want to like do as a company, as a leadership team? And whether it's making a decision about what we want to green light or it's making tougher decisions about things we want to walk away from, we do it as a leadership team. And that to me is quite refreshing um, and unusual. And I credit Nancy in terms of how she, she governs and how she listens. And the final decision stands with her, but she's very inclusive in her leadership style. Um, it's it's interesting to me too how 
um, how the pandemic has affected the media industry. I mean, I, I just spent the last sort of couple of months interviewing PR firms for our agency of the year process, um, and then meeting with people in, in a slightly different environment for awards judging. And we've shared a lot of stories about what it's been like to be part of a creative industry during a pandemic. And Jen, you must have your own experience with, with this. Um, you know, I, I was I was hugely impressed with the quality of creative work we saw in the Sabre Awards, for example, because I, I'd always assumed that, you know, getting people into the same room and having them have, have that sort of personal bounce ideas of energy was vital to the creative process. And now it, it, I, I wonder, can we actually all do it just as well on a, a computer screen from our kitchen? Um, but both of you, have had your own experiences with, with and, and newsrooms are very similar, right? I mean, journalism is a slightly more solitary pursuit than um, than than PR, but but you know, television production isn't, and and you know, all the other things that you do require team team effort and collaboration and creativity. And so, I'm I'm interested in the challenges both of you have faced actually over the last the last few months or both of your organizations have faced over the last few months in doing what you do in a completely alien environment. Naja, you want to go first or you want me to go? Um, yeah, for us, actually, it's made us more creative. I have an unbelievable creative team that works with us. And then we were just shooting the new fronts, right? And, you know, we shot people individually in a very COVID safe environment. Um, our editors are working probably overtime <laughs> in terms of how they pull things together. Um, for our newsroom, they actually haven't stopped. I'm in awe of that news news um, that news team. I mean, and you know, under Jesse Jesse's leadership, Jesse Angelo, it's kind of incredible. I mean, they don't sleep. They continued to work. I mean, just think about the stories they've been covering, and you know, um, at the Capitol, they were there. They were there. And so I think that what's interesting about creatively, for us, it's gotten better. And I would argue, Paul, that what you're going to see now from agencies is going to be even better than before. And perhaps the PR agencies that submit um, the awards are going to not look like the PR agencies you had of yesterday. I think you're going to begin to see a blend of very different types of agencies evolve in the future, right? And I think that you begin to see it because the nature of the importance of PR has changed. PR has been on its own journey for a number of years, right? I still believe, and I believe that brand and PR are interlinked as one. And you can't have one without the other, which is why I wouldn't take this job unless it was combined. And quite frankly, in the center of that is the data and insights to drive any company that you have. So anyone that's actually not thinking strategically about the role of PR and its importance in driving the growth of a business has missed the mark completely. Jen, I would say, I, I, I would say, you know, we have seen, I mean, we, I just to start out for a second, I have so much to say, that's why I think I'm stuttering. I think that we started Sway um, a couple of months before the pandemic hit. I mean, we look, we literally took, we we're talking about office space before we literally took our first proper office space, March 1st. I think I've been there a week of the entire time we've existed. Um, so I would say, you know, the work that we've done, 
I think we just show the perseverance of our industry. I mean, we know how to just adapt and, and get it done. I mean, I think that we have clients we've never met. I've hired teams I've never met. And it's just, we've had to figure out how to do it. And I would say we've done some of the best work in as an agency, but let alone in my career, the 20 years I've been in this industry, I've done probably some of the best work. I mean, Paul, one of the things you guys just acknowledged the work we just did for Beck and Dickinson, which is a healthcare company on the front lines of COVID. I mean, we've literally been their PR partner in it every day for the last year. And it's almost like we are in the same room together. I mean, we haven't skipped a beat. And I think that to Naja's point about different models, I mean, that's even how Sway has evolved and Sway has gotten created is that we've all, I've literally identified people who are amazing at what they do, whether it be Cheryl Overton or Alyssa Garnick or Mitch, Mitch Markins, Markson, everyone, we're all working together. We all have our own shops. We all are collaborating to meet client needs. It's more collaborative. The work is better. We're more agile and we're able to actually adapt and produce amazing work. And I think that's, and I, I was, I saw your, your short list of, of finalists for the awards. I mean, there's some great work there. I mean, I think that we are seeing people figure it out. And as Najah said, it's also different types of, of agencies and groups that are coming together that might never have come up before. Interesting bedfellows, as my friend Mitch Markson would say. But I think that it's, it's an exciting time because I think that we're going to come out of this. I've always been optimistic. I was the one person that never probably thought this would last as long as it is. I thought it was going to be like a couple months and we'd be done, but I think we're going to come out stronger because we've all persevered. And I think that the ways we're working now has showed we don't need all that other stuff to get the work done. We just need good people that can just interact. And if you have the right people you want to work with, you'll figure out how to interact any way you need to. Yeah, I mean, just a fun fact, Paul. Courage is Beautiful has won all these awards coming out of Unilever, right? I did that from my flat in London in under seven days. Under seven days. It was at the beginning of the pandemic. It was at the beginning of everything. And the what my old team did with the PR team at Unilever and our brand leads at Unilever around the world in seven days was nothing short of extraordinary. And if people, now that it's won all these awards, at the time we were doing it, people were like, can we do this? Are you sure? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, I think we need to take a stand. And so I think to, to just to build on Jen's point, whether it was at, at when I was at Ogilvy and WPP or at Vice Media Group, it pushes the envelopes of creativity. And you know what this has made people? A bit more brave. A bit more it's, brave. It's, you know what I mean? Sorry to me that I was I was giving a speech before before the crisis occurred, talking about what I thought were the leadership qualities of the future for our industry and and more broadly. And uh, um, you you've talked about three of them at least today: um, empathy, um, courage, and integrity. Um, and it was really weird talking about those as being qualities that leaders needed um, just a couple of years after America had elected somebody who was the exact antithesis of all of those qualities. Um, but I think that um, I think that the crisis has accelerated our move in that direction, and those are the qualities that leaders and brands 
are going to um, are going to need to exhibit going forward. It's it's just very it's it's really interesting to me that you had mentioned independent. Uh, we hadn't talked about it at all. No. Um, independent of of sort of what I was thinking that those were qualities um, that that you thought Vice was um, and and the work that you're doing there um, beginning to personify um, mm -hmm. and. You know, and I do think that the um, I do think that the pandemic has accelerated a lot of things that would have happened organically anyway, um, but are now going to happen this year rather than than five years down the road. Um, but I do wonder, just coming back to some of the stuff we've been discussing, how permanent the the changes are. Um, you know, we saw brands, for example, um, embracing the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that I would not have necessarily anticipated two or three years ago. But then I wonder how quickly um, how quickly that will be forgotten or put on the back burner and how much of it is real and how much of it is, is tokenistic. What do you see, Nadia, in terms of um, whether that's a genuine commitment or a matter of convenience? Well, I'm gonna do, which is terrible. I'm gonna tell you that I believe that um, as I look at the younger generation coming up, there's a level of accountability that they're holding to for brands that's, that's at its highest level. And they will choose not to spend with brands who don't adhere and re are representative of the diverse voices at the table. Most brands I think are gonna realize that this cannot just be rhetoric. Um, you, it actually has to be a permanent part of your policy there will be some that will backpedal inevitably. That's just who we are as society. And those are not brands that I particularly want to be associated with. Um, but you see people making choices. We'll be publishing um, a, a trust index when it comes to brands, um, except unlike, you know, what you may have seen with Edelman and others, this is going to have a cultural view on it of who are the brands that some of the younger generation are really gonna be trusting. It'd be very interesting to see who shows up on the list and who doesn't, because you know this will be based on what we're seeing. This is based on what some of the younger generation believes are the brands that actually are walking the walk and talking the talk. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Paul, you can tell people who are just full of shit. <laughs> it is pretty damn obvious who the full of shit people are. And you can tell the people, despite challenges, because no one's perfect, none of us are, at least have a commitment to do better, be better, and, 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 and charter a, a very different path. The same thing with board appointments. Everyone's trying to get women on boards and people of color on boards, right? We've always been here. It's not like it's new. But all of a sudden, I had one board interview, just a fun fact. And I was really offended because it became pretty obvious that this particular CEO was only talking to me because I was black. And at 10 minutes into it, I was like, I don't really need to have this conversation with you. And they told the headhunter, don't do that to me again. Don't yeah. ever do that to me again. And, and so I, do you know what I mean? You know those people, Jennifer. I was just going to say, I was on the phone this morning with, with a producer over at CNBC, and, and there's a bunch of other journalists I've been talking to, and they are all looking at, okay, George Floyd almost happened a year ago. We have horrible things now happening almost every week in the United States. What the brands that all committed to doing something a year ago, who's actually done something and how are we going to hold them accountable? You're going to start to see this. It's all going to come to your point about accountability. 
from the up and coming generation, but you're also now having a press corps that also is trying to hold these brands accountable too. And so I'm trying to help some of them navigate to kind of go to who are the brands that are doing it right? Who are the brands that aren't? We have one of our clients is, is Anita-B.org. They're all about driving diversity and inclusion in the technology industry. They put the big Grace Hopper event on every year. And the CEO there, Brenda Darden-Wilkerson, she is all about holding brands accountable in the tech industry, which has been one of the worst industries in corporate America. So I would say that it's the moment of reckoning is coming. I mean, this, we, I literally had this conversation right before we got on this podcast. It's yeah, I mean, we, we had this, you know, we had this situation though, just a couple of weeks ago where, you know, less than a year after throwing their weight behind Black Lives Matter and, 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 you know, speaking out on the murder of George Floyd and, and, and um, you know, generally looking like they were taking leadership positions. You had a bunch of companies in Atlanta that had to be dragged kicking and screaming into opposing the new anti-voter laws in Georgia. And it, it's just, you know, it seems to me that companies, companies' ability not to learn from the mistakes of the past is almost infinite. And, you know, I and I, to a certain extent, it, we have a responsibility to hold them to that, right? I know we've sort of strayed quite a way away from from Vice and and what you're doing there, and I'd love actually to have a, a a whole other conversation about your trust index. So maybe when that's released, we can we can oh, come we'll back. You up with, yeah, we will look at it. We'll get you and Julie. Isn't that great though? People, when we mention yeah. it to brands, they're like, "What does that mean? Am I on the list?" I said, "We we we haven't done it yet, but it's going to be done differently." Right? right. It's going to be done based on what we're talking about on this call. And I have to say, some people are like a little uncomfortable, right? There's no, there's no, you, you can't sugarcoat your track record, your track, to Jen's point, your track record is your track record. And I, I would argue, and I, I continue to say this, it's a burden and privilege that we have in media, in PR, in communications, in the industry to represent the truth and to be the light for others. And I think for too long, people have done things out of convenience and out of fear of pissing off the establishment or what's popular. When are we going to decide that we want to be better? When are we going to decide to bring our whole selves to the, to the table and say, I'm a person, I'm part of this world, part of this community, and I won't stand for how that person's being treated. And, and I think we've been weak. We've been weak. And it's time for us to stand up and really lead. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about this, I'm sure, in the past, Jen, at, at various meetings in various incarnations. But we are living in a world of, of radical transparency now. Um, you know, companies companies like Vice and groups like Black Lives Matter and, and you know, there are a whole there are a whole bunch of organizations and media outlets and channels that are dedicated today in making sure that you know exactly how organizations behave, um, exactly what the, the gap between what they want you to think about them and what they really are is. Yep. And, um, you know, it's more and more difficult to escape the truth. And, um, you know, our industry and Naj's new industry um, are all part of that process of, of making sure that there's more information out there. And I think it's going to change the rules of the game for everybody. And we got to bring people in that we can mentor and grow 
to be part of telling these stories. You know, you, you got to have representation around the table at all levels. And, you know, one of the things that I plan to do is, as long as I'm CMO of Vice Media Group is use the influence of the little influence I have for good, right? And to be that dissenting voice, continue to be that dissenting voice when needed, but also uphold um, what Nancy told me to do at the very beginning. She's like, we're going to make history here. We're going to continue to transform and bring the best out of what Vice Media Group is meant to be. We're going to do it together. And, you know, and she's a big believer, left foot, right foot, one day at a time, we do this together as one team, our own version of the modern family, right? And I think that's really exciting, um, particularly at a time where we're going through our own metamorphosis in the world. A renaissance is coming. We're in the midst of a revolution, but we're also in the midst of a renaissance. And in that renaissance, we have a, ch a chance to really transform this industry. So what side are we really going to be on? What side are you going to be on? I know what I've chosen. Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a question that every organization is being forced to recommend, you know, more or less, more or less constantly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the idea that you could sit on the fence, the idea, you know, if you're not in favor of change, you're in favor of the status quo. And so, you know, pick a side. Um, some people and, are going to be, some people are, some, and that's, that's their choice. Yeah, that yeah. and that's and that's the reason why I started my own shop was because I I saw things I didn't want to to deal with anymore and I wanted to actually create a create a culture that was not only going to be a company that walked the talk to the point about diversity. Our team is probably one of the most diverse that I've ever worked with, but more importantly, the DNI mission at the center of our of what we do as a business. We hold our clients accountable. We actually push them to actually think differently and to be inclusive in their in their hiring, to be inclusive in their strategic thinking, and to kind of do things in a different way and to offer them different perspective. And I think that you know this is an important to talk about. Not to talk before about it's a reckoning. Yes, but I think that we have the opportunity to continue to create new ways of working, new models, and just to continue to hold folks accountable. Because to your point, Paul, there's no place to hide anymore. Like you have to do what you say you're going to do. And you know what? It's great to have this conversation with with the two of you because I, you know, I started writing about public relations a little more than 35 years ago. And the reason I've done it was for 35 years is because I thought this profession had the the, the ability to make a difference in the world. Um, it didn't always live up to the ideals that I had for it, but it's always had that potential. And I feel like we are on the cusp of realizing it day to day. Um, and both of you are in it for the same reason I am. So um, that's tremendously encouraging. Like I said, I was going to be respectful of time and we've run um, pretty much Bye. as long as long as uh, I said we would, maybe a little longer. So um, unless you have some closing comments, either of you, um, uh, we'll, we'll bring it to an end. Just thank um, you. Thank you for the platform. Thank you for the honesty um, and really inspiring conversation because I think you have to constantly push people and push our industries to be better and make different choices. And um, I think far too long, too many of us have been too quiet about what we've seen. And it's time for us to really make a change and, and, and not do it because you're being forced to, but do it because it's the right thing to do. 
Sounds really old fashioned, but let's, let's, you know, we, we said nice is the, is the new popular, nice is the new black. We were talking about this in one of our insights calls and people are taking it seriously. We yeah. for one are advice media group for sure. Yeah. I mean, you'd like to think that there's a payoff from it too, but sometimes it's just good to do. Sometimes it's just about enabling others to be great yeah. and not always being the one taking the credit for it. So maybe that's what our superpower is supposed to be on this call is to enable others to be great. Well, that's an inspiring message for our industry. Thanks, Nadja. And thanks, Jen, for bringing Nadja to us and, and pulling this meeting together. It was a lot of fun, and I hope our audience enjoyed it as much as we did. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. <laughs>